0: Ron and Anian. It's refreshing to see that this radio show is reaching the professionals. The Car Doctor. What makes the independent repair shop market stand out in my mind is they're innovators because they think outside the box. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian. The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Ronnie Amy, the car doctor at your service. How are you today? Thanks for stopping by the garage. Always glad to see you. And uh, I really do mean that. I appreciate the fact that you take time each and every week to join me here in the garage. As we talk about cars, your car, the neighbor's car, somebody else's car, and uh, problems that you might be having, whether it's something mechanical or physical with the vehicle or whether it's just, hey, how does this work? Because that's what this radio show is all about. Always glad to sit and chat with you. The phone number to get in here to the garage is 855-560-9900. Let me say that again. It's eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. 560 9900 That's the 24-7 Car Doctor phone number. Yep, 24-7. We've got a messaging service attached to that. So if you call eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero, 560 9900 and we're not on the air, and we're not on the air all the time, although you can listen to the stream. There's a Car Doctor stream at cardoctorshow.com. Um, and you could imagine we're on the air all the time, but uh, we're not. We're Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, out on the network. And you can call the 855-560-9900. Any though, leave a message, and Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and put you in the lineup for the next live broadcast of this radio show. There's information about this radio show also at Cardoctorshow.com. As far as podcasts, you can go to TuneIn, you can go to iHeart. Uh, there is a link there on the podcast page to iTunes. We're going to move that over to the front page of the website this week. My chief engineer, cook and bottle washer Tom Ray tells me. And if you need me during the week, it's Ron at Cardoctorshow.com. I went to the chiropractor this morning. I'm a creature of habit. I, I tend to you know, do the same thing every Saturday. Maybe it's superstition. I've been doing the same thing for the past 20-some-odd years and you notice the route. You 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 know, you kind of go the same way. Left, right, down the street, make a left. Second traffic light, make a right, and so on. There's a big gas station in the center of this one town that we go through. And, you know, you'll, you'll look at it. It's, it's like the main attraction in that town. And I couldn't help but notice that he's got a sign out front for a 1995 oil change. And I'm looking at it. As I'm sitting at the traffic light, and I started to think about it, and I kept my thoughts in my head. Frankly, there was nobody else in the car to talk to. If I started talking to myself, they probably would have locked me up, and I'd be in a straitjacket right now. And even though some of you may enjoy that, the guys on the other side of the glass laughed gleefully. I know she'd be in the straitjacket, fellas. And I got to the chiropractor, and I was talking to Mary, the receptionist. We were just chit-chatting about the week, and you know, cars, it always turns to cars. And she asked me what I was going to talk about this week on the show. And I said, you know, Mary, I'm not really quite sure. I I, I said, you know, there's so many things that go through my head, any one given moment, any one given time of the day and the week. I said, it is, you know, I said one of the things I wanted to comment on was I saw a 1995 oil change sign at a gas station on the way in today. And she said, how can they do it for 1995? And I said, well, yeah, that's kind of my question, too. And then, as if she was channeling me through me, she said, you'd have to be pretty stupid to assume that you could do an oil change for 1995. And I went, yeah, probably. Um, Either that or just very naive, and you don't understand what's really all that's involved. And we started to add it up, and we kind of came to the same. We've had this conversation, you and I, before, the regular listeners. We know what an oil change takes. A, A proper oil change is a minimum of 15 minutes. Heck, we had a... A 2008 Toyota 4Runner in the shop yesterday, and by the time you take down the brush shields and move things to get access to the oil filter, and it's still 20 minutes, a half hour of, of work in and out the door by the time you look everything over properly and, you know, tire pressure and do some physical looks. And, you know, it's it's not that quick of a repair anymore, an oil change or a service anymore. It's an oil change. It's more than that. And then Mary said to me, do you think the 1995 oil change does more harm than good or the other way around? And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, doesn't it make it seem to the average person that you can really do the oil change for $20 and everybody charging more than that is gouging? You know, I thought about it, and I I never looked at it from that perspective, and it's why I like to have conversations with people everywhere I go because I'm, I'm always looking for that fresh take on things. And I said, so what you're saying is the cheap oil change belittles the industry. And she said, yeah, in a sense, because it makes people think that, you know, hey, you can do it for that cheap and and still stay in business, because we all know the old rule. Everybody believes that no business charges for something less than what they can, but they're still making a profit on it. And I said, you know, Mary, you may have hit a nerve, you may have hit on something there that and it is a true loss leader at 1995 and i've talked about how you know some repair shops are charging cheap on oil changes that they're charging cheap in order to get people in the door and then try and sell them things that they may or may not need and they're just rolling the dice and playing the odds it's a cheap form of advertising i said but you may have taken it to a new level you know it may be a sign- it may signify and it may be an instance where the cheaper the oil change The more they have to oversell you in order to compensate for it, or the less ability that shop has to deal with the technology of today's car because they have to do a cheap oil change to get people in the door. People don't come in the door because of the quality of the work. It's an interesting thought. I remember a couple of weeks ago, right here on this radio show, you and I, we were talking about coupons and how coupons program people. Do you remember that conversation? It gets you used to the idea that it can be done that cheap. And auto repair was never meant to be done cheap. And the problem is there's there's too many posers and too many jerks in the business that don't charge properly and, and confuse the issue and, and belittle the industry. And it doesn't allow you to get a fresh take on what auto repair is all about. It's funny. I, I talk to so many people during the course of the week, and I hear about the bad experiences. I, I spoke to someone yesterday, and she was telling me how she went. Her son used to take his truck to the Ford dealer, and or one of the Ford dealers in the area. And the problem was he started to get suspicious because he would wait for the oil service on his diesel Ford pickup. And he noticed it was getting done faster and faster. So before the one of his last oil changes there, he crawled under the truck and he made a mark on the oil filter in a spot where no one would readily see it. And, yeah, you get it. You guessed it. He changed the he brought it back they changed the oil and it was done in just about 12 maybe 13 minutes he said it was just too fast and when he got home he crawled back under the truck and same mark was still there and the sad part is on a diesel diesel oil gets dirty so fast you can't tell if it's been changed or not by looking at it you put 10 15 miles on a diesel vehicle that oil is black as coal usually in that length of time and Uh, You know, it's it's not like a conventional gas engine where you'll see the difference. So subsequently, he no longer goes to that dealer, and he has a hard time going to any dealer, and he's really out trying to source somebody that will work on his diesel Ford pickup. And I guess the point of this is that, and I see it as an opportunity in response to Mary, what am I going to talk about today on the show? I guess I'm going to open the conversation with where you get it done, And by whom is more important in my mind than how cheap can you get it done? Because cheap begets cheap. It's funny. we, We all complain in this country about cheap stuff from China, right? Our 51st state. And yet here we are just all looking to get it done as cheaply as possible, as quickly as possible without any concern over quality and well you get it hello and welcome glad to have you here at the car doctor eight five five we've got a busy phone board i can see the phones are all backed up and lit up and we've got um, some phone calls i understand we're going to have an interview down around the bottom of the hour with jeff mcdowell from the aspnj next week is the big trade show remote we're going to be down there at the Meadowlands in secaucus new jersey live from there but we will return in a few to talk to you don't go away Welcome back. Ron Anini and Ian, The Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. We're here to take your calls and uh, kick the garage doors open. And uh, let me say hello to my executive producer, Harry. How are you today? Hey, Ron. How are you? Good. You're looking good. I always look good. Yeah. Well, you always say that. That's why I always I always mention that. Yeah. So how do you feel today? I feel good. Yeah? Yeah. So, you, had you, had a good, you had a good week? Uh, I always have a good week. So you know why? I'm in love. You no, know you get to hang out with me. Oh. Uh. So there's that too. I like my answer
1: better.
2: Yeah. yeah. So,
0: yeah, but neither, America doesn't trust me.
2: Uh, trust me, they do. So you wonder. Yeah. So are you ready now?
0: I'm ready. Okay. Who's on the phone?
2: Uh, Dan's on the phone from Bristol, Maine, and he has an 07 Jeep Commander, air conditioning automatic. Right. And sometimes he turns the key, gets a go. Sometimes he turns the key, no go.
0: Uh-oh. Okay. Let's see if we can give Dan some go. Thanks, H. And uh, get over there. Dan, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help?
3: Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you for taking the call. You're welcome. Uh, we get, like I said, an old seven Jeep Commander, and uh, for some reason, a lot of times, no start. that, they don't even turn over. Okay. You get all your dash lights, but it just don't turn over. And
0: what do you do to get it to start?
3: You well, know, sometimes just letting it sit, you know, maybe two hours, three hours, she start right back up like nothing happened.
0: Do you have any? Uh, do, you do, have, some, do you ever have any problems getting it to shift out of park into the gears, into reverse, neutral, drive, and so on?
3: No, nothing whatsoever.
0: Okay. Has anybody scanned this for uh, fault codes?
3: Well, what happened was we, uh, when we bought the car, it happened a month after we owned the car from the dealership. Uh, we kept bringing it back. Sometimes when, when they get it back, uh, it would start right up. If it starts up, then you can't really detect anything. Right. So one time it, it didn't start, so I brought it there. I put it on my flatbed. I brought it there. I dropped it off. And it wouldn't start for them in the morning. So I guess what happened was they thought it might have been a computer, so they changed the computer, they changed the starter, uh, then it seemed like it was okay for maybe three weeks, a month, and now she's starting to do it all over again. Okay. You, know, you go someplace, you don't dare, shut it off, it won't we'll start. <laughs> all
0: right. So here's, here's my commentary, all right? Uh, you know, it, it sounds like they've changed a bunch of parts. I just wonder if anybody scanned it for any fault codes. And and the reason I still fall back on that and I understand what direction they're going, they're they're treating it like it was a sixty five Buick, you know, starter, um, relay, the computer's the relay in this case, and, and they're just thinking it's a basic problem. I still want to know fault codes. And, and and the reason is is one of the good things that the manufacturers do, and Chrysler's in there, is they will they will issue a non communication fault if for some reason one module stops talking to another. So it okay. may not it may not give you an exact component and say, Hey, change this relay, but it will tell you what circuit went away and stopped communicating on the data bus. You ever okay. have a, you ever have a bad phone in your house, Dan? Oh, absolutely. Right? And you know, if you have seven phones in the house, how did the how did the telephone repair man find them back in the day, right? He went around to each phone and he checked them for tone, he checked it for signal coming in, and then he tested a few things out and he said, Okay. This is the bad phone. Or or I remember the days, and I'm dating myself, when somebody left the phone off the hook and it took the whole house out. Right. Right? Well, you know, (laughs) to a degree, cars are like that, all right? Except they won't take the whole car out, but the module will stop communicating. And what's interesting to note is with a scan tool on this particular car, one of the best things to look at, is the transmission range switch. Remember in the old days, if the car didn't crank, you'd try putting it in neutral? Right, right. Okay, well, on this particular car, and a lot of them of this vintage, this era, they have it set up so that when the car goes into a no crank, if you can go into it with a body computer or a a scanner and look at the body computer, you can actually bring up the trans switch and see on-off whether it's working or not. All right? and if it's not working and what you have to realize is it's a monitored circuit if it's not working if it loses communication it's going to set a communications fault so okay. on the pretext that somebody can't catch it in the act i'm going to tell you first step i want to do is i want to go look at i want to go look at fault codes any fault codes in the vehicle at this point so many hands have been in the pot i would record everything erase it write it all down erase it and wait till the problem happens the second time. Because obviously what they did didn't fix it. Changing the PCM didn't do it. Changing the starter didn't do it. There's still a fault in this car. And my money is either on we've got a problem in the trans-range sensor circuit or we've got a problem there is a separate starter relay for this vehicle. Okay. And perhaps we've got an issue there.
3: When it don't start, I can click the key and you can hear the relay.
0: Okay. So then let's go to the relay. the relay. Let's go to the relay. At the relay, terminal thirty. You want to make sure okay. terminal thirty has power to it all the time. Okay. All right. And then, well, the, and then the lights
3: the lights in the lights in the car, the dash lights, they all light up. Well yeah. It if I was to get underneath, if if I was to get underneath there with a screwdriver and reach up there and hit
0: my starter, she'll start right up. Okay, so this is a case of it's not getting signal. Now understand understand how this works. You turn the key to the crank position, it sends a it sends it does a couple of things. It wakes up the circuits, it's it's sending a signal to the PCM requesting crank. The PCM okay. won't allow the starter relay to engage until it looks at the trans range sensor and says has, is Dan in, in, in park, neutral, or a gear? Because if you're in park right. and neutral, it'll send out a signal and allow the vehicle to crank, okay. all right? That's why I'm saying it's, yep. it, it's so important to, you know, everything Everything comes down to a fault code, and I don't know why people don't go looking at that. They think, ah, oh, it's just a crank position issue. It's a, it's a no-crank condition. It won't have a code. There'll be a code in there. There'll be a fault. <laughs> and if it doesn't have a fault, then that tells you it's not something computer-related, it's something more mechanical, or perhaps it's something such as a bad starter, and then that's a different animal altogether.
3: Well, that was just replaced, too. Right. Well, yeah.
0: I'm not saying in your case it is. I'm just trying to make the point that using a scan tool just gathers information. It takes the guy with something between his ears to figure out what to do with it. So, let's, but you can only do
3: a scan when the guy's not trying to start, right?
0: Nope. Nope. There'll be history there. There should be history there. So the way I would approach this is if this was in the bay Monday morning, I'd scan every module in the vehicle, write everything down, erase it, wait for it to happen again, wait till I can duplicate the problem, what fault comes back, all right? Okay. And then also keep in mind I would go to the starter relay, find that, make sure Terminal 30 is hot all the time, and for that matter, I might wire in a 194 side marker or a parking light bulb so I can see that bulb lit from the driver's seat. So at least when okay, I go so to crank it.
3: You're saying,
0: yeah. Right? So if if if, because, if I go right. to crank it and the bulb's not lit, guess what? It's not going to work. Okay. Okay. So, do that. All right, well, do that and give me a shout next week. Let me know what happens.
3: Hey, well, thanks very much.
0: You're very welcome. You take good care. Always. Always, you have to come back to basics. You've just got to, you know, you've got to think your way through the problem. I can't tell you how many things we're working on lately that um, uh, become an issue as far as as far as you don't think to go and scan for it. We had a car last week, or it was the week before last, had an air conditioning problem. The air conditioning, the temp control was inaccurate and the shop before us went and started looking at refrigerant level and all the basic mechanical things it had a blend door problem and the PCM or the BCM in that case reported it and right away we uh, we knew which way we had to go by uh, anyway that was the story i'm running into the car doctor We're back right after this Back, Ron Meny, and the Car Doctor. How are you today? Let's uh, keep on cruising. Let's get over and talk to Seth online too. Seth, welcome to the Car Doctor. How are you?
2: Hey, Ron. Good How about you? Good.
0: What's going on? What kind of car problem do you have?
2: Uh, I've got a 2004 Dodge Intrepid ES with a 3.5 liter V6, and I've uh, had a, the check engine light come on a couple times. Uh, with the codes P0344 and the P03, uh, P0340, I uh, took it to the, uh, my mechanic and they looked it over and uh, said that the check engine light turned off by itself and they didn't see anything wrong with the sensor or the wiring uh, and didn't change anything They said it all looked, looked fine. Um, I had the check engine light come on again with the exact, they cleared the codes and had the exact same codes come back up and this time as well, I've had the car RPM fluctuate when it's in drive or neutral and it actually um, ended up stalling when I was sitting in a drive through I was able to fire it right back up Okay. and I don't know if it's related but the Control will sometimes shut itself off when I'm cruising down the freeway.
0: It could be, uh, especially if it's losing correct RPM signal. Let me let me ask you this, Seth. When the other shop looked at it, had they tested? Did they talk to you about it? They just said, "Would they do a visual?"
2: They did a visual, and they also hooked up a scanner to it.
0: Okay, uh, a P zero three four O is a cam. Sensor fault, meaning it's not seeing correct signal. And a 344 four means that the signal is intermittent. What do you do for a living, Seth?
2: I uh, install cabinets.
0: Okay. So what what they're basic, like kitchen cabinets, that kind of thing? Yep. So so using a scan tool is, is kind of like using a shoebox to measure the dimensions of the cabinet and then lay it out and build it and install it. It, it it works, but it's kind of crude, all right? And, okay. and in the case of the cabinets, you couldn't do it accurately, and you couldn't do it to a level of quality, and you sound like a quality guy. And in terms right. of a P0340, you can't accurately test that sensor or circuit without a lab scope, not in 2004, not on that vehicle. You know, you, you might get lucky and, and stumble upon some wiring that's chewed up. You might get lucky and, you know, give the cam give the cam position sensor a tap with a screwdriver handle and the car shuts off you might but the the reason that code set was uh, imagine a circuit with voltage it starts at zero right imagine a light bulb if we put a lab scope on mm-hmm. a light bulb it would show zero if the yep. bulb is off we turn the light switch on a, the lab scope would show a trace or a signal a picture a, an electrical picture of that Voltage rising from zero to 12 volts, right? Yep. And then the length of time that the bulb is on would give it horizontal width. And then when you turn the bulb off, the signal would drop away. So in effect, that light bulb would make a square wave pattern based on how fast you turn that light bulb on and off on the lab scope. With me? Yep. Okay. So a cam sensor makes that a similar type of signal, but it's it's a set signal. The only thing that changes is how fast it appears. It doesn't change shape. It's a constant. A 340 generally is because that signal is either not squared off properly or not rising correctly. There's something wrong with that pattern. The light bulb is no longer reflecting 12 volts. It's reflecting 6 volts or 8 volts or... It's reflecting two volts, or it's not on the whole time. The bulb shorts out. There's a problem with that particular pattern. It doesn't look the same over a time span, and it has to be dead on every time. All right? So looking at everything, yeah, guess what? There's the cam sensor. There's the crank sensor. Beyond that, until you hook up a lab scope, you're never going to see it. It would be like a doctor doing a trace on your heart, your heart rate and blood pressure. You know, you, you they wheel you into the hospital and they hook you up into the machine. And it's that little beep, 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 right? Yep. It's, it's the tracer. It's the same thing until they hook you up to that scope because that's what the doctor's got. That's a scope. All right. He's just he's putting an electrical pattern up if you want to think of it like that. And without looking at it like that, it doesn't do anything. So the okay. only way to test this is with a lab scope, period, done, end of conversation. I can tell you this. That on that particular car, a c- bad crank sensor will replicate a bad cam sensor. So a crank can cause a cam sensor fault. So what a lot okay. of guys what a lot of guys did back in the day, let's face it, the car is twelve years old or not that many of them around anymore. What a lot of guys did in the day was replaced both the cam and the crank sensor, the guys that didn't understand what lab scopes were or had them and never took them out of the box and they had dust on the top. And I'm not suggesting you do that. I'm just trying to make the point that a crank position sensor issue will also cause a cam position sensor issue. It's an easy okay. circuit to diagnose. It's a matter of hooking up a lab scope, a two channel scope, and comparing the crank and the cam have the correct relationship. And that they, you know, you have to measure it up against a known good signal, which there are libraries of this stuff available to mechanics. They have to know where to look. But if they have a lab scope, chances are they do. And and then they can tell, hey, okay. this is good, this is bad. But, you know, what, what they're trying to do, they're trying to build a cabinet using a shoebox as a ruler. Doesn't work. Okay. So, um, so just doesn't work. Do
2: them, do them codes cause then uh, the fluctuation in the RPM in an eventual oh. stall?
0: Oh, yeah. Hey, let me let – me, can you skip – I'm asking okay. you the hard questions okay. today. I know, Seth, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Can you skip – can you walk and skip? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you know how you skip, right? Your 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 brain says skip and you kind of miss a step walking down the street, right? Yeah. Well, you know, that's all that's all motor function and that's basically what the car is doing. The the input sensors to the PCM are giving it position of crank and cam so it can dictate and control RPM. It's it's making it run just like your brain makes you skip or walk or run or do anything else without thinking. It's just like an instant it happens, right? So when it loses okay. track of cam signal when you when you lose track of walking your your feet kind of you know you, you get tangled up and you, you're not and you trip you fall down car does the same thing it loses track of where it's at it loses the cam, the crank signal it trips and falls down and the okay. rpm the rpm will fluctuate it could stall it could not start it could do a bunch of things so okay. all right. Just make sure when you go back to your shop, if they're going to replace these cam and crank sensors, Chrysler only. Yep. I'll say it again, Chrysler okay. only. Lots of problems with the aftermarket stuff, lots of issues. You want to use a Chrysler only cam and crank sensor in that particular vehicle. Um, at least you know okay. you're eliminating the problem. All right. Uh, well,
2: yeah, I had I had, change, I had changed one once, and I don't even remember the brand. I had just picked it up from an advanced auto parts, a yeah. um, cam oh. sensor.
0: Right. And, and I
2: don't think it was a Chrysler one. Right. So yeah,
0: this is one. This is one of those repairs where I call for an OE part. All right, the the okay. aftermarket part may work. I can't tell you how well, and I can't tell you for how long. It may be fine, but experience has shown me that in this particular case, you're better off with an OE part and just put an end to it so good luck to you seth if you need me during the week ron at cardoctorshow.com and if you want to call you've got the number go right ahead eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero hey jeff mcdowell aspnj is coming up next don't go away we're back right after this We're the car doctor. You know, coming up next week, boy, I tell you, where does the time fly? We're going to be down in Secaucus at the uh, Meadowlands Convention Center with the uh, good folks at the uh, AASPNJ and the AASN, AASPNJ Northeast Trade Show, and uh, always a good time. Always glad to talk to them. And I'm just surprised a year went by, and here I am talking to Jeff McDowell again. Jeff, welcome back, sir.
1: How are you? That was a fast year, huh?
0: Yeah, Whew. boy, you know, Jeff, they're just flying by. It's uh you know we just celebrated 25 years on radio and um, we're still kind of thinking about it saying no no it can't be it just this is like year 5 um so you know here you guys are with your trade show we're like year 39 isn't it that's correct yeah, yeah. um you know where did 39 years of trade shows go and um you know everyone just seems to be better than the last and uh, you know it's it's I've been fortunate I've been around to about I think um I have to think back now. I think I've been around to about 30 of them, and it's just staggering, the uh, the event, um, and for what you guys do. So tell us, what's um, what's hot at the show this year? What are we going to look forward to this year?
1: Well, I mean, it's just an incredible show. It was sold out so early. We've got uh, over 60,000 square feet uh, of the latest products and equipment for people to come out and see. Um, 150 different vendors and exhibitors. We've got over 20 seminars and training. We've got uh, Casey, Matthew from uh, Casey Custom Paints. He's coming out to do a demonstration for BASF and meet with some of the young vocational students. We've also got Mike Anderson, uh, nationally renowned uh, seminar leaders, coming out to do a, a big seminar for us. And just about anything that anybody wants to find out about collision repair um, is available at, at this
0: show. And it's amazing to me the 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 spray booths. I love to go stand in the spray booths. It's kind of neat. It's, they're, 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 it seems like they're bigger than some houses. They're cleaner than some houses. And the construction and the technology that's contained within them just, you know, makes you scratch your head and say, how could, how could a body shop? I mean, Jeff, you have a body shop. Could you imagine not having a spray booth?
1: Oh, no, absolutely not.
0: Now, do you think that, and, and I suppose we'll, we'll have to ask this question next week because I think we're, you and I are going to be talking next week as well, obviously, um, you know, a body shop without a spray booth going forward with, with the technology that the cars are exhibiting, and, and and the paints, how the paints have changed. You know, there would be an interesting topic, right? How has paint changed in the last 39 years? Uh, you know, how are they going to manage without a booth going forward, Jeff? Can they?
1: Well, no, you can't. Technically, you, you, a licensed collision repair shop in New Jersey cannot get their license without passing the fire certificate uh, for your uh, local uh, what, whatever part of the state you're in. Yeah, and that requires a spray yeah. booth.
0: Right, right. So you know it's it's and that's some of the things you see at this show uh you know people ask me so what's the big deal it's a bunch of seminars it's a bunch of vendors you know what it's not that it's i go to the show every year and even though it's more it it is more collision than mechanical and we can both admit that i think safely it's 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 and that's for now it it changes i think it goes through its cycles but you know i look in the corners I was just saying this to Joel Gostin from NJA. Uh, You know, I look in the corners. I I look for the little thing. I look for something different, something small, and that's usually what I come away with, but it's a heck of an education, um, uh, you know, that I always enjoy seeing. Hey, Jeff, the clock's going to take us. I know we're a little short this year. Where can the listeners go for more information? And uh, give us some show dates and times, if you could, real quick.
1: Yeah, sure. The show starts uh, March 18th, 5 to 10 p.m., and Saturday the 19th from 10 to 5 p.m., and Sunday from 10 to 3 p.m., and they can get any information they want at www.aaspnjnortheast.com.
0: Perfect. Cool beans. And You know what, we'll get that up on our Facebook page, too, Ron and any and the Car Doctor, so if they have any issues finding it, that's aaspnjnortheast.com. Jeff, I look forward to seeing you and everybody else next week. We'll talk to you then. All right, Ron. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm Ron Anady and Annie in the Car Doctor. We are back right after this.
2: Get your-
0: Talked to you a little bit about a repair I did this week, and I think it signifies uh, where this industry is, and, and it's just a tip of the iceberg of where this industry is going. Had an 04 Toyota Corolla in the shop this week with a P0133 oxygen sensor circuit uh, uh, fi- uh, slow activity, um, insufficient activity was the actual technical term, and... If you go through the diagnosis, and basically what this is, an oxygen sensor is like the thermostat in your house. You set it to 68 degrees, the heat comes up, it hits 68, the thermostat opens, the furnace shuts off, the heat drops down, thermostat closes, it brings it back up. It's a a back and forth process. An oxygen sensor measures oxygen content, as you may know, may or may not know, depends how long of a listener you are. And basically the computer is looking at the oxygen sensor output signal, it produces a voltage. And it varies with oxygen content, high and low, to determine where one of the main inputs for air fuel trim, for fuel trim, how much fuel does the engine have and how much does it need and, and, and what's going on. It's, it's, it's a tuner in a sense. It helps adjust the mixture. So it set a fault code for slow activity. It wasn't responding fast enough. And when you go through the diagnosis one of the things it talks about is, and you can test the sensor, and we did, and the sensor was marginal, but it wasn't anything that I wouldn't have expected at 125,000 miles on a 12-year-old vehicle. It's 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 tired. Of course you're going to replace it. But what's interesting was in this particular case, Toyota had issued a technical service bulletin, and what the bulletin specifically said was that it may not be a case of an oxygen sensor all by itself, that there is a software refresh available for this particular car. So what did I do? I got out my Toyota scan tool, uh, dealer-level tool, and uh, basically it's a laptop, and fired it up, went out, found the calibration. And, you know, a tip of the hat to Toyota, they do it really nicely. You, you log in using Toyota Tish Stream. And, and you're able to go find the calibration. And like a lot of manufacturers now, they do something called a health check. And this is why I always come back to, let's look at codes. Let's look and see what is in this particular vehicle. And it did a health check, and it reported back that there were two calibration updates for this particular car. One in the ABS controller, which had nothing to do with the O2, and one for the O2. Perform the O2 calibration perform the abs calibration just because i was there and that's another good thing about doing software reflashes put an oxygen sensor in it and guess what the car is fixed and that's the future of this business in that it's not just changing hard parts it's changing software as well and that's the future Till the next time i'm ron Anini and in the car doctor good mechanics aren't expensive they're priceless see ya